We're continuing to dive into time series databases today, and today we're covering InfluxDB, which builds itself as a time series data platform where developers build IoT, analytics, and cloud applications. Some of the listeners may not really understand the, the benefits of working with a time series database. What does a time series database really bring to the table when we're dealing with data like this over a conventional sort of SQL database? Yeah, so there, there are a number of things they can do. Um, the, one of the first and most obvious things is compression, right? You're dealing with a lot of data over time. Uh, with metrics data, it is trivial to get to a point where you're collecting a billion data points per day, right? So the naive way to put that in a SQL database is you write a record for every single data point. If you're writing a billion records per day into a SQL database, life is going to be very sad for you. Um, you run out of space. Yeah, so... So compression is really important, right? Like, you know, if you just think about it, like, a, a, you know, a, a float 64 value and a timestamp is going to be 16 bytes without any other metadata that describe what the thing is, right? Um, so if you have good compression, you can actually compress that down to, you know, like one byte, 1.1, 1.3 bytes per value. So that kind of difference is huge when you're talking about a billion values per day. Um, and even like, if you're running you know, 20 servers and you're sampling once every 10 seconds, generally speaking, it's very common for people to have 200 to 1,000 measurements per server that they pull in for every server in their infrastructure. So that, that adds up really quickly. And does the compression change with time? So is, is like historic data more deeply compressed? So you lose precision, but... Yeah, so, so compression just by itself is one thing. So with Influx... Unlike other time series databases, we actually support more than just like a float 64 um, value type. We support float 64, int 64, uh, booleans, uh, un64, and strings. So we we pick compression depending on what data is and also what the shape of the data is. So we kind of optimize the compression based on that. Um, you'll find this in columnar databases, but you won't find it in SQL databases. And databases like Cassandra just use generalized compression like Snappy or LCW, right? Um, so compression is one piece. Write throughput is another one that's very important. Um, right? Uh, with time series data, it's kind of a weird use case because you don't really update time series data and you don't really deal with contention, right? In a normal database, there's a bunch of stuff that is in there to deal with the fact that updates are a frequent thing and they're expected and you could potentially have you know two writers at the same time trying to update a record you just don't have that in time series data so there are a bunch of shortcuts you can take to optimize your throughput to get much better write throughput on a time series database than you would get in a sql database because you like all of that machinery in there that's dealing with the fact that you need a transactional database with time series data you just don't need it because yeah, it's, a, it's mostly an append-only workload unless you're doing historical backfills. Um, so there's that. The other piece is the, the piece that you hinted at, which is basically downsampling or um, uh, summarizations or, or um, that kind of thing. So basically, it's, it's very common in the time series use case to have high-precision data that you keep around for a short period of time, like, say, seven days. Right, so say you have once every 10 second samples. You keep that high precision data around for seven days, and then you downsample it to say 10 minute summarizations, right? 
10 minute downsamples of those things. And they, you, you can pick, there are many different ways to downsample the data depending on what it is, right? It could be a mean, it could be a combination of things, it could be a histogram, it could just be a single individual sample that you select randomly. But generally speaking, you know, if you're talking 10 seconds, one, once every 10 seconds to, you know, and every 10 minutes, you're talking about a serious reduction in the amount of data you keep around. So the 10 minute samples you keep around for say three months or six months or whatever. And then you could go even further to say like, we're going to have one hour summaries. So in, a, in most databases, if you want to do that kind of thing, you have to write a bunch of application level code to do it. You have to write application level code to compute those summaries, to write the data in, and then you have to write application level code to query the samples, right? Um, so different time series databases provide this to varying degrees, some not at all, some of them kind of. Um, we're kind of in the middle ground. It's our goal to actually have it be a totally seamless thing that people can set up. Right now, there are a couple of different tools in the stack that you can use to downsample your data. And then when you query it, you specify, hey, I want, the, I want this area of data that's like my medium precision, or this area that's my low precision data. Um, so there's that. And then finally, like the, the, the last piece within the database itself, like the database proper, is basically like how you query the data, right? SQL is primarily based on querying a bunch of sets and a bunch of set theory stuff and relational algebra. I think time series data, most of the time when you're working with it, you want to work with it like it's a matrix of data, right? And you want you want to work with it like that. And there, yes, you can represent a lot of these query concepts in SQL, and our current query language looks kind of like SQL. Um, but our new query language is actually very, very different. And the goal is to make, to enable like query functionality that would be very, very hard to represent in SQL, but do it succinctly and in a way that's readable and understandable to the developers who, you know, have to look at your queries. That's, that's really awesome. And Nick, I don't know about you, but that made my understanding of time series database and InfluxDB really clear, uh, which is pretty awesome. 100% clearer. So, uh, Paul, when I'm like out at conferences and I talk to people in, you know, especially in like the, uh, the operation space and infrastructure space, uh, they usually talk about InfluxDB and Prometheus somewhat together and then they compare them and, and there's all these like blog posts and discussions on them. So, uh, how does Influx compare with something like Prometheus? And I'm sure you get this question for you, like pretty often, pretty common question for you. Yeah, absolutely. So Prometheus is actually a couple of different things, right? There's the actual server implementation, which has a time series database as part of it. But really, the Prometheus people, the Prometheus developers think of Prometheus as a monitoring system, right? Uh, one, it is based on the it's entirely built around the concept of pull technology. So essentially, what Prometheus will do is it will go out and connect to targets, and it will scrape them which is it will pull, it will connect to them like it's an HTTP endpoint, it hits it, uh, it scrapes the metrics, pulls them in, and then you can monitor, it stores them in its local uh, time series data store and it can monitor them and transform them. And then you can query Prometheus directly from that. Um, so that's pull. Pull works really, really well for metrics, for things that are not ephemeral, right? So don't, for serverless, I don't know. It's not. It's <laughs> you're going to have problems. But for 
and and even for like container for containers that are short lived, you're going to have problems. But for other things, like as long as Prometheus, it goes into the service discovery and Prometheus can discover it, it'll go scrape it, pull the data in. Um, so Influx obviously is a time series database. Uh, it's based on push, right? So you push the data to, to Influx as you would like a normal database. Um, however, uh, we also have support for the Prometheus exposition format. So I guess Prometheus is two things. It's the server implementation, but it's also this metrics format that they've defined uh, that's quickly becoming a, an industry standard. And we wanted to add support for that. So our data collection agent, Telegraph, can actually scrape Prometheus targets and send the data to Influx. Our monitoring agent, Capacitor, can scrape Prometheus uh, targets and either transform the data or monitor the data or send it to Influx. Um, so our goal, like our goal over time, like over the course of this year, is to build more and more support for the Prometheus standards into our platform as a whole so that it pairs well with Prometheus. So one of the design principles for Prometheus is that it's a monitoring server. So what you want is you want, you want to be able to reason about its failure modes really easily. And because of that, it's designed to be a single server only that runs on its own. And generally, it's designed to be ephemeral. Like you, you're not supposed to care if the thing, like if you have a Prometheus operator in your Kubernetes cluster and like the Prometheus server goes down, you're not supposed to care if the operator just spins a new one up and you start over fresh from the data, right? You shouldn't have to have a stateful set to run a Prometheus server. Um, so, but at the same time, so, which is great for a monitoring system, it's not great if you wanna keep your data around and care about like long-term trends and stuff like that. So our goal over the course of this year is to build more and more support for the Prometheus metrics format into the platform, but also to add support for uh, PromQL, which is the Prometheus query language. Um, so that ideally, people will be able to use Promethei across their infrastructure and pair that up with an Influx deployment so that they could do some things with Influx, some things with Prometheus, and ideally, everything will kind of work well together. So on some level, like, yes, the projects are directly competitive, but at the same time, I think there is, is, there's a lot of room to have them be complementary to each other and work well together. So that was Paul Dix on the HashiCast. And the full episode is worth a listen. He communicates extremely clearly. Uh, the benefits of TSDBs, just to recap, compression for timestamps, write throughput because of append-only writes, downsampling for high precision, and then 10-minute summarizations, and then one-hour summarization, and then finally query patterns, uh, having a different sort of queries. Um, and then finally, he talks a little bit about the tick stack, which is their replacements for Prometheus or their competition for Prometheus. Uh, so tick stands for telegraph, which does collection of metrics, InfluxDB, which uh, is the database, chronograph, which does the visualization, and then capacitor, which does processing and alerting.